It says this in Luke 1, 30 through 33. It says, do not be afraid. Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God and you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestors, David, and he will reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never, ever end. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that good news? But have you ever thought to yourself, why did Jesus come to this earth? Why did he leave the splendor of heaven to the splinters of this earth? There's several reasons he came, but I want to give you a couple of them this morning or this evening. Number one is this, he came to do the Father's will. He came to do the will of his Father, according to John 6, 38. He also came to bear witness to the truth, according to John 18, 37. He came to bring light to the darkness, according to John 12, 46. And number four, he came to bring true judgment, according to John 9, 39. He came to bring abundant life that we read about in John 10, 10. And he came to seek and to save those who are lost, according to John, or according to Luke 19, 10. You see, we need to appreciate tonight. We need to admire how God carefully laid his amazing plans to come to us. He came to us, and we need to remember that. You see, God has always spoken. God has always acted in, a real, in real history, through actual events, through, through real human lives, and he made, he, he, he's made promises. He's kept them, and he's called people to record them and to remember them. That's why we have the Word of God. He's not some obscure deity of a myth. He's not some legend that you read about, but the true God who's done wondrous things, none more than the birth, than the life, than the death, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we're living in a post-Christian culture, and it may be more vital than ever to show that the facts of the gospel are true, that the facts of Jesus' life matter. You see, the Christmas story isn't just about some holiday feeling. It's not about a holiday feeling tonight. It's about how God promised men and women a long time ago that he would send the Messiah for them to save them and to give them hope. And we need hope in this world today. There's a lot of people that are searching for hope. And it's, it's about what God, that God delivered on those promises centuries later and at the place in the moment of his choosing, not ours. But before his birth, nothing happened for centuries. How many of you just love to wait? You love to just, you know, one day you're just like, you know what, I just want to go to the DMV and just, just go in there and without an appointment, I just want to wait till my name's called. Or we don't like long lines. We don't like traffic. We don't like to wait. And for 400 years or more, the people waited and waited for the Messiah and there was just complete silence. And to wait that long for a promise reminds me that waiting can be the most difficult thing to experience. None of us like waiting rooms. We don't like to go to a restaurant and have to wait for 45 minutes. We want to be able to enjoy our meal as soon as we can. In the book, Waiting, Finding Hope When God Seems Silent by Ben Patterson, he said this, and I quote, it isn't easy to wait. It isn't easy to wait. It demands persistence when common sense says, just give up. It says, believe when there's no present evidence to back it up. You see, faith is forged in delay. Faith is forged in delay. Character is forged in delay. The forge is the gap between the promise and the fulfillment. As gold is purified and shaped in the white hot heat of a forge, so we and our faith are purified and shaped in waiting. But we don't like to wait. 
And just like the people of Israel, they had to wait. There are seasons in our lives that we seem like we have to wait. For example, some of these kids that are in this room, and maybe even some of these adults, they can't wait till tomorrow to open their gift. They want to open one tonight. Or they want to open all their gifts tonight. Or who knows what it may be. We don't like to wait. It's not in our nature. It's not in our character. C.S. Lewis once said this, and I quote, he said, Waiting time is never wasted time. Waiting time is never wasted time. And we must not give up or lose hope because in his time, God makes all things beautiful in his time. It goes on and says in Luke 2, 8 through 11, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Verse 10 says, but the angel reassured them, do not be afraid. Somebody needs to hear that word tonight. Just like the angel said to Mary, just like the the angel said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know if it's your future that you're afraid of. I don't know if it's your present that you're afraid of. I don't know if it's your health. I don't know if it's a relationship. But God is speaking to us tonight, and he's saying, do not be afraid. He He goes on and says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem the city of David. The first person invited to see Jesus were Levitical shepherds whose jobs were to keep watch over sheep that would eventually be sacrificed without a spot, wrinkle, or blemish. That was their job. That was their role. And the job status was low on the ladder of success in those days. It just, it just was one of those things in the eyes of people that to be a shepherd was not a very common you know, job or a job to look be proud of or something like that during those times. But back then and today, God is looking for people who will hear. God is looking for people who will go. God is looking for people that will just do what needs to be done, just like those shepherds who heard the good news about the birth of Jesus. And God wanted to show himself mightily in their lives, and he wants to show himself mightily in your lives tonight. Why do I say that? Because I want to encourage you, if you want to write this down, no one is insignificant to God. No one. Everyone say no one. No one is insignificant to God. You see, Jesus loves you. He wants to use your abilities. He wants to use your life for his glory and his honor, to bring honor to his name. And there's no insignificant person in God's plans. If God was able to reach the lowly shepherds, God is able to reach you tonight. He has a purpose for your life. And so open yourself up to all that he has planned for you because he has amazing things planned for you. Let me ask you a couple of questions tonight, though. Are you open to his leading? Do you somehow feel unworthy or lost in the path that you're on right now? Are you discouraged? Do you you seem overwhelmed with all you're facing? If any of those three questions you said yes to, I want to encourage you to trust him with all that you have and all that he has promised for you because truly the best is is, is yet to come because no one is insignificant to God tonight. Matthew 2, 9 through 11 goes on and says this. After, the, after this interview, the wise men went their way. And they saw the star they, they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You see, these wise men were on search. They were on search for the king. And their journey would take them weeks. Perhaps it would take them even months for that trek. But worship, everyone say worship. 
Worship is what drove the, the wise men to seek and to find Jesus. They had a heart for worship. And I, as I think about the wise men, I noticed that nothing got in their way to get to Jesus. Nothing diverted their attention from their mission to worship the king. The distance that they travel, they didn't get discouraged. The, the, the unknown location of where he was, they didn't get discouraged. The troubled people in Jerusalem were, were not the obstacles that would distract these wise men from, from what they knew they needed to do. And instead, they, they focused on the star. They focused on the light. And they were exceedingly joyful when they found the king. They fell on their knees. And they worshiped Jesus and gave him their treasures. You see, friends, I want to encourage you tonight. The wise men did not stop searching for Jesus until they found him. A lot of times when we go through this thing called life and we realize that, that, that God's not giving us what we want or he's not seeing us through in our, in our circumstance or our trial or tribulation, what do we usually do? We usually stop, we stop searching him or seeking him or growing in him or anything like that. But the wise men did not stop searching for Jesus until they found him. And neither should we, no matter what it is that we're going through in this thing called life. This Christmas season, may we consider the worth of the one whom we worship tonight and for, forevermore, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May we focus our attention on the sacrifice of this king that we're going to be receiving when it comes to communion later on in our, in our gathering tonight. May we bring a gift to Jesus tonight that, and, and give him our lives in exchange for his amazing grace. May we do those things as we choose to worship the king and to live a life of obedience for his glory and for his honor tonight. It goes on and says in Luke 2, 4 through 7, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. David's ancient home, he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And, when, well, and while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room available for them. Let me ask you a question tonight, friends. Will you provide a place in your heart? Will you provide a place in your life for Jesus this Christmas season? Hudson Taylor was a great missionary, and he said this, and I quote. He said, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. He's not Lord at all. Tonight, Jesus desires to sit on the throne of every part of our life. The Bible says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. It's interesting that this passage of Scripture in Revelation 3.20 was written to a church that had shut Jesus out. They had shut Jesus out. The relationship with Jesus had shut down. He was shut out. There are, there are many non-believers today. There's a lot of even believers today who have shut God out of their lives because of selfish desires and selfish needs. He no longer sat on the throne of, of their lives or their, their activities in this passage of Scripture in Revelation 3.20. But Jesus wants to be in control of our mental state. He wants to be in control of every aspect of our life, our thought life, our emotions. The Bible says that we're to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ according to 2 Corinthians 10.5. But what do we do? Even though I just read that scripture, most of the time, we don't make room for Jesus with our time. We don't make room for Jesus with our focus. We don't make room for Jesus with our minds. We don't make room for Jesus even with our thought life. Colossians 3, 1, 12, Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says this, If you are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above 
where Christ sits at the right hand of God, set your mind, your affections on things above, not on things on this earth. Tonight, are you allowing Jesus to have room on the throne of your relationships? Not just your thought life, but your relationships. If you're married, is there room for Jesus in your marriage? If, if you're engaged, is there room for Jesus in that relationship? Are you so wrapped up in, in the wedding and the preparation for this marriage or whatever it may be? Or, or is there room for Jesus in that relationship? Or, or are you shutting him out of certain aspects of your life? If you're single, is there room in your life to become secure in Jesus before you become secure in someone else? You might say, Pastor, I make room for Jesus with my relationships. You might be here tonight and say, I, I, make, I make room for Jesus with my thought life. I believe Jesus should have a role in, you know, all sorts of things in our lives. But, I don't, but, 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 maybe, but maybe you're saying, you know, I, I do all those things, but let me ask you a question. Do you make room for Jesus with your finances? Someone said this, and I quote, if God has your pocketbook, he has your heart. You see, we can make room for Jesus in our relationships. We can make room for Jesus with our mind. But do we make room for Jesus with our finances? You see, we need to understand that we've got to put God first in our finances with our tithe and give to expand the Lord's church and the Lord's kingdom. Now, I've just named a few things, finances. I've, I've named, you know, uh, relationships. I've named our thought life. There's your leisure life. There's all sorts of things. But you've got to use your imagination tonight and ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart, to, search your, to show you where he may not be reigning on the throne of your life. And invite him. Is there, is there a certain room where you've not, you've not allowed God to take hold of your life? This is no greater, great, no, no greater time than now on this Christmas Eve to do that. Why? Because we should always make room for Jesus. We should always make room for Jesus. Because sometimes we're no different than that person who had no, no room in their end for Jesus. Paul Harvey, maybe you've heard of him before. He tells a story about a, a family on Christmas Eve. Just like on a night tonight, this family had a tradition where the mother and the children would go to a Christmas Eve service, just like we are here tonight. But unfortunately, the father would stay home, and he would read the newspaper. He would read the newspaper, and when the family returned home from church, they would all gather, and they would open their presents. Well, the father was not an evil man. He wasn't, he just didn't, you know, basically he got to a point in his life where he didn't believe in the childhood stories anymore of God coming as a baby in the manger, and he just didn't want to waste his time and, and go to a service. And so as the family left for church, he opened up the evening paper that night. He opened up the evening paper and, and, and of course, um, began to, to read uh, by the fireplace. Suddenly, he heard a tap on the window. And he looked out the, outside, and he saw this bird flying against the glass in, in, in his window. And he was trying to get out of the snow because it was a cold night into the warmth of his home. And this man somehow had compassion on this bird, and so he got bundled up, and he decided to go outside, and he was going to hopefully try to bring this bird in. He had an extra cage, or he had a cage in his garage, so he got it, and he was thinking, maybe I can save this bird. Maybe I can help this bird. And so as he approached the bird, the bird flew just flew against the window even harder. He was trying to get into the house, and this person was like, what's wrong with this thing? Pretty soon, the bird flew into the bushes below the window, and as he flew below that, he was half frozen at that point, and yet afraid to, to be caught by this huge man. The more the man tried to reach for the bird, the more the bird flew frantically into the snow, and, and now he was into the thorns of the bushes. And this, this man, for after a few minutes of being in the cold, Seeing the bird continue to injure himself, the man just got upset at this bird. Like the bird understands what he's saying, but he was basically saying, what's wrong with you, bird? Can't you understand? I'm trying to help you. 
I'm, just let me help you in this moment. And the man paused and thought, if, you only if, if only you understood, you wouldn't fly away. If only in, in that moment, you know, he's trying to think what he can do to, to help this bird. And he said to himself, man, you know what? What, what would probably help this bird understand what I'm saying, I'm trying to help this bird, is, is maybe if I could become a bird and, and get him to understand what I'm trying to do in helping him. Just then, the church bells rang as they always have on that hour. And when the man heard the bells that time, he fell to his knees and he began to cry saying, oh God, I didn't understand. I didn't understand. Just like he was trying to get that bird to understand what was going on in its world, that's what ended up happening. Jesus came because he's trying to show this world a better way. And just like this man didn't understand, we're living in a culture that doesn't understand. God didn't come to take away your fun. He came to protect you from pain. And God's son came in human form that we might understand from where we have come and for what reason we're separated and now we can be restored to God in that moment. You see, friends, as we wrap this up, Christmas is God's initiative. Christmas is God's initiative that reveals his amazing grace. It reveals his amazing grace as he rescued all humanity from their sin, their shame, their suffering, their death through the birth of a baby named Jesus. And tonight, all he wants to do is get what he paid for in receiving you and I as his child, as his children, because he's a good father. John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And just like we saw in that video, John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life.